Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, where we listen to an old episode of Dead Rabbit Radio with some new information at the end. Imagine it like a director's commentary for a podcast. I'm a huge fan of director's commentary, and I hope you are too. If this is the first time you listen to an episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, then uh, probably not probably not a great example, because while this episode we're about to talk about, I have a, a bunch of stuff, and we're going to save it for the end, and I'll play the episode in full. This episode is a tricky one for me to talk about, because on the one hand, it is absolutely fascinating. The topics, the topics are absolutely fascinating. This episode is around 600 episodes ago, and I feel I would have presented it in a different way. And we're going to kind of talk about that after the end of the episode. And there's a bunch of behind-the-scenes stuff, I think, as well that we'll talk about. So strap in for a crazy episode. It's a little cringy. I'm just preparing you guys for that. It's a little cringy. And we'll talk. I, I, I try to be less cringy nowadays. But let's go ahead and get started with episode 469. Are deaf people immune to alien mind control? A family in Italy breaks out the Ouija board. It's all fun and games until the cops kick down your door. Then we travel to Russia to take a look at a bizarre story of a man who claims he was abducted by aliens and not taken aboard a spaceship, but taken to a swamp full of zombies. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys had a great, great weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so we're going to go ahead and get started here. First off, I want to give a shout out to a supporter of the show, Behind the Scenes. This guy has helped me out a lot recently. I really, really appreciate it. Took care of a task that I myself couldn't have done. I can't really say who he is or what he does i can't tell you what his job is it's very sensitive but there was a particular issue that i needed help with and this gentleman helped me out so joe from portland joe from portland let's salute him actually we're saluting this guy this guy is an american hero i'm not saying that facetiously he's a he's a really good dude and um i can't tell you guys fully what's going on behind the scenes but he helped out a lot so you done we're done salute joe's all embarrassed he's like guys quit salute quit saluting me we're still saluting him. <laughs> Wipe away a single tear. Where's his parade? Damn it. Where's Joe's parade? No, he's really, really a good guy. Thank you for helping. Helped me out. Helped the show out. So he helped you guys out as well. Joe, let's hop aboard the Carpenter Copter. We're going for a flight. Now, this is a request from Fabio via email. So Fabio, really, really appreciate that. Let's bring that Carpenter Copter nice and low. We're coming over the Italian countryside. We're specifically headed to a place called Monza. Monza, Monza. Everyone's just eating the whole time. It's the town of gluttons. That's Monza, isn't it? Same thing. Anyways, I'm sure the words mean the exact same thing. They sound alike. We're flying over this town. It's July 8th, 2013. So, Joe, let's land that Carpenter Copter. We hop out of the Carpenter Copter, and we see a bunch of Italian police officers run past the Carpenter Copter. And now we're in Italian police uniforms as well, because we're going to blend in. We're walking with the cops and stuff like that. The cops walk up to this house, and they're like... Italian police, open up! And you just hear a ruckus upstairs. <laughs> sounds, sounds like some people are just making weird noises. <laughs> the Italian police are looking at each other and they're like, you ready to go in? And we're like, manja. 
and the the cops are like, okay, he's hungry, but that's the only word he knows in Italian, so that works too. And we're getting ready to breach. See, I know law enforcement terms. Now we're going to rewind to get to why the police are here. So you like you like that little cliffhanger that I gave away in the opening when I told you why the cops are here. It doesn't matter. The police are sitting in their office, and the phone rings. Ring, 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 ring. Italian nine one one. What's your emergency? And these people are like, dude, this is totally sucks. There's this family. I'm living next to this family, right? Totally normal people. Father, he's a bank employee. He's 53 years old. He has a wife who's 43. She's his housewife. And they have a 13-year-old daughter. And these dudes are like throwing a big old ruckus up in their attic. And then 911 goes, that's not how you pronounce it. It's attic. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, don't correct my grammar. The point is, is that they're making a bunch of noise, and I'm afraid something's going on. So, Italian police hang up the Italian phone, and they go, let's go. They drive out, and now we're back to where we are. So we're standing with all these Italian police. We're getting ready to breach this building, and kick the door in. And then we're running up the stairs, because we know the noise is coming from the attic. We're standing outside the attic door at this point. And you hear people inside the attic. attic. <laughs> Damn it! We hear people inside the room in the roof. And they're going, I am the goddess of love, Hitler. I am the goddess of love, Hitler. <laughs> That's not a sample from a weird Kendrick Lamar song. These are people saying this <laughs> People saying this weird stuff in this room. And the cops are all looking at each other and they're like, uh, <laughs> do we really want to go in here? But it is the Italian police job. So they open the door, and what they see, the first thing they go in, it's super hot in there. It's basically my apartment right now while I'm recording this episode. It's super, super hot in there. All the windows have been taped shut. So it's super, it's like stifling hot. There's cans of solvent. Now, Fabio is from Italy, and he sent me this stuff, and I basically was run through a translator. So when it said cans of solvent, what I think it was was... Like, uh, aerosol canister. They, they were basically huffing, is what the police figured out. Cans of solvents. So I don't know if it was like WD-40. I don't know if it was like model airplane glue. Whatever it was, it was everywhere. And the implication in the article that this family was sky high. I mean, they were blitzed out of their minds, allegedly. <laughs> Anonymous family in Italy, don't sue me. Anyways, the cops were looking around. They're making, this is the quote. They're making... These references to Hitler. They just keep going, Hitler, Hitler. And then every so often, one of them would go, I am the goddess of love. And they're just saying incomprehensible things, right? And they're all in their underwear, too. Skip that detail. The whole family, father, wife, and daughter, are in their underwear. In the middle of the room is a Ouija board. And in between saying Hitler and I'm the goddess of love and other ramblings that the police didn't write down, the family's turn, the family members turn, stop talking. They turn, look at the police officers, and go, We are the children of Odin! And run, and they begin fighting in this hot, sticky attic. Attic! 
They're fighting a family in their underwear. The police are now straight hand-to-hand combat. With, I mean, think about it, dude. You could probably take on the dad, but that little 13-year-old girl, she's like a spider monkey, dude. She'd be like jumping off rafters and stuff, grabbing onto your neck. Joe, look out! She's in a headlock. Got Joe in a headlock. He's like, why did I have to be the pilot for this story? I'm punching. I'm just punching the dad. I'm like, I'll save you soon. First, let me take care of this guy. The cops are going toe-to-toe in this super hot attic. The family's biting them, scratching them, saying, we will exterminate you. Probably saying Hitler a few more times just for good measure. Finally, the police get it under control, drag the family downstairs. They get out of that hot, hot attic. Police win the melee. The daughter gets taken away to like child services, Italian Child Protective Services. And the father and the mother were forced to go to like a psych- psychological evaluation. They were charged with police assault, but they were acquitted. They weren't found guilty for any of that stuff. And they ended up being hospitalized, but there's no record. So this story took place back in 2013, and there's no follow-up. So we don't even know these people's names. Most likely, they just were in the hospital for a bit. Here, here's the, the, This story's creepy for a couple different reasons. One... I had to come I had to come to grips with the fact that I can't pronounce the word attic. Attic. So that was always leave a lasting scar on me too. I have a thing with the paranormal. Treat the paranormal like a gun. Assume it's always loaded. Oh, a Ouija's just a board game. It's nothing. You should always treat every ghost investigation, every Charlie Charlie game, white noise generator. Ouija board like it's a loaded gun, that it is extremely dangerous and can go off at any time and hurt yourself or anyone around you. It's not something to be goofing off with. That's the second thing. One, I can't pronounce the roof above the house. I can't pronounce that. Two, treat the paranormal like a loaded gun. If you're going to a haunted location, assume someone's going to get possessed. Just assume that so you can be prepared to like just throw holy water on everybody. Always treat it like you're going into a dangerous situation. Three, this family dodged a bullet, right? I think we can all agree. It's a creepy story. And thank you for the recommendation, Fabio. It's a creepy story. Because this family dodged a bullet. Because not only were they messing with the Ouija board, they were getting high while doing it. Getting high and playing with the Ouija board, you could have had demonic possession. You could have had one of them murder. The other, you could have had some sort of gross family thing, which I think you guys get the implication with that. You could have had all sorts of horrible things happen. Treat the paranormal. First off, and this is rule four, I think we're on. Do not mix substance abuse with paranormal stuff. That's another thing. A lot of people, hey, dude, let's drink some brews and go to the haunted house. Friends from the 1980s? Don't don't mess. If you're frat from Revenge of the Nerds, who were they? Not the Lambda 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 is the other guy. Tripi. It doesn't matter. If your frat buddies want to get drunk and go to the graveyard, smoke a doobie, say, nah-uh-uh, I only hunt for ghosts when I'm stone sober. So, yes, we've learned a lot of lessons from this. This family really dodged the bullet. Could have gotten really bad, and hopefully they learned their lesson. But since we don't know who these people are, but who knows what happened to this family? They're probably still out there. They're probably looking for another attic to hang out in. Tonight, when you're reading a book late at night and you hear Italian footsteps above your head, huh? What? Those don't sound like footsteps from around here. Those totally sound. Those aren't. Those are. They sound like Italian leather shoes on my in my attic. Don't go up and check. Call the police. Because I know how this story ends. Ends with people in their underwear biting me. Call the Italian police. Let's go ahead, Joe. Let's hop back in that carpenter copter. It's so hot in here right now. I'm in my underwear. That's not a meme. 
I have not joined this cult. It is so hot and sticky in here. So Joe's like, Joe's like sitting in the helicopter. I'm getting in in my underwear. I got my undershirt on. He's like, oh, come on. Seriously, this is the episode. You have us getting bit by a family in their underwear. Now you're wearing underwear. Take us up, Joe. Up, up, and away. We're leaving behind Italy. We're headed out to Russia. We're leaving behind the country that looks like a boot. And we're headed to the country that looks like a big old slab of steak. The good old Soviet Union. I found this story on thinkaboutitdocs.com, which is one of my favorite compediums, compediums, collections of UFO stories. I found this on here. It's Let's take a look at it. It's really interesting. I was recently looking through the entire year of 1990. We saw a massive amount of alien encounters in Russia in the year 1990. Now, we had seen them in previous years, 88, 89, but in 1990 was when we had a ton of cases of aliens making contact with humans. And a lot of times they would say, would you like to come on our ship? And the person would come on the ship and they'd kind of look around and they'd tell this story and the aliens would be like, stop using nukes or clean the environment, a.k.a. boring stuff. I would be so, man, I'd be so disappointed if I met an alien and they sit down and they start talking about the environment. I'd be like, lame. Can you at least, like, I would rather you try to shoot me with a laser beam than bore me to death. And then they're like, okay, here's our boring machine. No, that's not what I meant. That terrible joke aside, we're headed to Russia to take a look at a very interesting story that I think we can use as a springboard for an interesting discussion. So, there was a man, we're flying to the year 1990, we're in the Servlosk region in the Urals of Russia. There's a, a night watchman named Sanin. He's 60 years old. During the day, he's a carpenter. He's one of mine. He's one of my breed. But at night, he was a night watchman. Now, you, I'm going to give you a detail about him, and you may think that would probably make him a bad night watchman. But in the end, it might have made him the best night watchman ever. He's deaf. He can't hear nothing. So you would figure, you know, at night, your your senses are already compromised. You have to use a light. You've got a flashlight. You know, you guys understand how darkness works. You can't see in the dark. You think losing another sense would actually make it more difficult to do the jump. People are sneaking up behind you and stuff. Throwing burlap sacks over your head. Gophers are running away with your carrots. All sorts of stuff. But he was the night watchman, so he was taking care of the... It was like a farm collective. It was his job to keep everything secure. Well, one night he's sitting there, he's just doing his job. He's keeping an eye on those gophers. And a bright light comes down from the sky. And he's like, this sucks. Like, he immediately knows (laughs) that this is out of the ordinary. He's not curious about UFOs, none of this stuff. He immediately knows it's about to get real. And what steps out of this glow is three aliens. Uh, you know, a couple grays. You could take them. Me, Joe could probably take two of them. I could, he holds them. I punch him in the stomach. But the third one, the third one shoots both of us with a laser beam. Oh, man, I forgot to stop that one, Joe. But these aliens are eight and a half to nine feet tall. Yeah, you're not going to tangle with these things. So these aliens start coming out. And the Sanin's like, dude, listen, I'm just the night watchman. Like, I watch stuff at night. They never said anything in the job description about actually stopping anything, let alone giants. So he hides. But then he's, like, hiding in a big piece of machinery, and the door swings open, and he feels this unknown, compelling force pulling him towards the light. No, I'm not going, I'm not going. He's holding onto the steering wheel. His grip starts to loosen up. He's getting pulled across the ground. He's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Finally, though, against all odds, 
he crawls away. And the aliens look at each other. He's crawling. He gets away from this beam. He runs into the nearby forest. Oh, my God. That was close. He's laying against the tree. Oh, my God. Super nervous, dude. That was close. Okay. I'm safe. There's only one way to cure my nervousness now. Gotta have a cigarette. So he puts a cigarette in his mouth. In the darkness of night. Being pursued by aliens. He's like, there's only one way to cure these blues. A little bit of that flame, flame, click, click. Lights his lighter. The aliens immediately realize where he's at. He goes unconscious. Not the smartest decision, Sanin. But when you gotta smoke, you gotta smoke. Actually, that's not true. If you have to smoke and you're being pursued by the supernatural, don't smoke then. What happens next? He's missing for five days. The people in the collective, they wake up the next morning and they find his food there. They find like his equipment, but he's gone. And they're like, that's out of character for him. He's normally eating food and owning things. This is weird. So they begin a search party for him. Five days later, though, in another part of Russia, this truck's driving through the forest, and this dude comes running out of the woods, all sweaty and stuff. He's like, stop, stop, stop. Truck stops, he gets in. Dude's like, do you have a cigarette? I'm super nervous. And I have a story to tell you. Now, he goes back to town, and he tells this insane story of what happened. Now, a lot of times people get abducted by aliens. They're sitting on a spaceship. Maybe they remember it, maybe they don't. But sometimes they're given the whole environmental spiel. Sometimes they're medically experimented on. This guy had a close encounter of the interned kind. You like that? Does that make up for the boring joke? It does, doesn't it? So what happened? You're like, no, it doesn't. I don't know the context. Okay, I'm going to tell you the context and then you'll laugh. He was taken to a slave labor camp in the middle of Russia. So... What happened was the aliens pulled him into the beam of light. And the next thing he knows, it's daytime. And he's sitting in a swamp. And it's super gross everywhere, right? He sm- the first thing, he's like, oh, man, this super stinks. He said there was a film covering the whole area, right? And he's all grody. I mean, also, he's a captive of aliens. I think he was more worried about, oh, no, my freedom. Not like, pew-wee. I thought you were going to take me to a nice-smelling prison. He's on Earth. He's in a swamp. And he sees it full of humans. There's actually a ton of humans. There's still some giant aliens walking around. But it's full of humans. And they're walking around like zombies. Not with their arms stuck out, but like robots. And what he's seeing, he sees these humans walking into the woods, gathering berries, twigs, stuff like that, putting them in sacks, and dropping them off in front of the aliens, and then walking away. And he's like, dude, dude, what's going on, man? Like, what's going on? And the people are ignoring him. They're just like, zombies. So it doesn't take him long to deduce that they're under the alien's control. And he starts, over the course, he's there for five days, and he comes up with some interesting analyses. One, everyone's a slave. I mean, that's the most interesting part, right? These aliens are controlling a bunch of people. One, you had a bunch of slaves walking around. Two, you had men and women slaves, but the women had their faces covered with handkerchiefs. So you couldn't see their faces. And more importantly, they couldn't see anything either. But they're still able to expertly navigate the bog. So you have this bog, and then around it is a burned-out forest. I don't know how many... I don't know how berries grow in burned-out forests. Maybe the berries are planted after the fire. I don't know. I don't know nothing about nature. But apparently that's what happened. I guess that's actually equivalent detail. There are alien slave labor camps. I'm worried about how <laughs> where berries come from. The women had handkerchiefs wrapped tightly around their faces. You couldn't see their face. They shouldn't be able to see out, but they could expertly navigate 
the bog. Now, they would be just walking across the swampy ground, not slipping, not falling, anything like that, as if someone is controlling them like a puppet. Now, there were metal planks or like metal plating laid across the ground as well that kind of made a gangplank, but they weren't always walking on that. Sometimes you would just be carrying bags of berries, dropping them off at these aliens' feet. There was also another subset of aliens. They were shorter. They were wearing these cowls, like little hoods, like they're little superheroes. And they seem to be controlling some sort of silvery net thing. Which makes me... It doesn't go into a lot of detail of that, but I'm almost wondering if that is some sort of... I mean, I, I can make up anything at this point. We don't know, but you said there was some silvery net they operated. I wonder if that was almost like... You know, when military is doing stuff in areas, they'll throw up that camouflage netting. So if planes are just going overhead, it looks like a bunch of bushes are down there. I'm wondering if there was some sort of cloaking. Because it was a big area. It's not like they were sending up helicopters looking for this dude. He was just like a missing dude from the area. He said that the smaller aliens were operating some sort of silvery net thing. He said that you had these people that were acting like slaves. They were completely under control of something else. And then he noticed two piles. Now... Generally, piles of anything are not good, unless you're Scrooge McDuck and you're going to your own house. Whenever things are described as piles, they're normally not good. They're either referring to the piles in your stomach, because you can't defecate, or piles of of horrible... (laughs) That's horrible, too, but or piles of stuff you don't want. He sees these two piles. One of the piles is freshly dead humans, right, right off the assembly line, dead. And it was dead men. There were no dead women. It was dead men. And then, oddly enough, red-headed children. What? That's a weird detail. And it's details like that that either makes me think that this guy is completely insane or telling the truth. That would be a weird detail to lie about. He sees a pile of dead men, adult men, and in that same pile, a bunch of dead redhead kids. No women. He doesn't see any dead women in this pile. And I have a theory about that. A very grim theory. But we'll get into that in a second. You're like, Jason, I have no idea what you could... The madness that you can pull out of this pile, I have no idea what's coming. The second pile was people that he thought had been dug up from graves. People much more decomposed in a separate pile. So it's not like this was the Monday dead and then they just slowly got rotten. He said that he saw a pile of bodies that was a combination of men, women, and children. I'm so sorry I'm presenting... Joe's like shaking his head. He's like, really? This is the episode I'm on? Sorry, sir. He sees another pile. It's dead men, women, and children. And the ale- and he says it looked like they'd been dug up from the grave. So maybe they were wearing like old Victorian clothing or something like that. He could tell they were super old. He goes, in that pile, the aliens seem to be experimenting on the bodies. So I have a theory here. I have an interesting theory here. What if you have the human men walking around? And then you have the women walking around with the handkerchiefs on their face. My original theory was that We always have stories about aliens banging human women. They go far back to the Bible times. You get stories of the Nephilim coming down. And when I was reading the story originally, I thought, maybe the women had to cover their face because they're so hot that if they didn't have their faces covered, the dudes would want to keep banging them. So instead of that happening, the overseer's like, dude, you can't, you got to stop banging these women. Look at all these illegitimate, super-powered babies that are running around. You gotta stop doing that. They had to cover up the women's faces so the dudes weren't getting all, like, space horny and stuff like that. But then I thought, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Then I thought, what if the reason why there's no dead, freshly dead women... Sorry, this is super disturbing. The reason why there's no freshly dead women is because 
the aliens were taking the corpses of women and turning them into robots. And the reason why they wear handkerchiefs isn't because they're super hot. It's because they're super gross and there's like worms and stuff coming out of their face. Now, I have no evidence to back that up. I don't want evidence to back that up. I just think it's interesting that we don't have any women in the freshly dead pile. I can't even believe I'm saying these phrases out loud. And that their faces are covered up. I'm wondering if, like, the aliens were digging up the... Because they weren't experimenting on the freshly dead corpses. They were experimenting on the grave dug corpses. What if they were bringing women, like, old dead women and stuff, and then... Oh, my God. Turning them into robot zombies. Okay, what if the aliens were digging up Queen Elizabeth, old, uh, like, old ancient person, like, 1500s Queen Elizabeth. Somehow they got her from England to Russia and then turned her into a robot. Uh, Catherine the Great's walking around picking berries. Anyways, he doesn't, to be fair, Sanon doesn't say any of that stuff. He would turn around and be like, what nonsense are you talking? He's just saying he's seeing these humans walk around acting like robots. Now, this is the interesting thing about this story, other than the pile of bodies, the slave labor camp, and the aliens. The aliens begin to command him to go pick berries. And he will go off into the forest, and he starts harvesting berries. And then he's walking back, and he starts slipping in the swamp. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Falls on his butt. Berries go everywhere, and aliens are like, what? He knows the aliens are giving him commands, but they're not working. He really quickly realizes he doesn't have to go into the forest. He starts going, no, I'm not going to do that. He's all pretending. He's all hiding in the pile of bodies. They're like, Sanon, we know... Come on, dude, we can see you breathing. You're reading a magazine. We know you're not dead. And he's like, I'm not working for you guys, dude. And the aliens start... These aliens have perfect mental control over this whole group of people, but not him. To the point that he can't navigate the swamp. He can't do things the way that these people... They can be blindfolded, walk perfectly through, because who's ever controlling them can see where they're going. The aliens start threatening him, and they're like, dude, just pick up berry. Just one berry, bro. One berry and don't slip on your way back. And he's like, no, you pick your own berries. The aliens eventually just stop even paying attention to him. He basically is such a pain in the butt that interstellar travelers are just like, whatever. After five days, a massive rainstorm hits the area. And he thinks, I think it's my chance to get out of here. And he runs away. He gets back and then he's seen on the road. I uh, To be honest, I don't think the aliens look too hard for him. They're like, no, stop, please. Come back, where your cab... Okay, he's gone. Thank God that guy was annoying. You want to do what we said? It's an interesting thing because it's possible, in this article I was reading, it's possible that the fact he was deaf made it so the aliens' commands didn't work on him. The fact that he couldn't hear them. Like, even though the voices... We have so many times where the voices are in the head. You hear it in your head. He was... Even though he was getting telepathic commands... The fact that he was deaf is possibly why the commands didn't work on him. And what's interesting is we saw in 1990, in summer and fall, in Russia, there's four other stories of people being abducted, of acting like robots, of meeting small aliens with little uh, cows on their head. A group of girls was being kidnapped from a campsite. They were walking like robots through the river until the boys woke them up. There was a mother and her three young daughters who got teleported away and ended up in a field with a bunch of other people. They were acting like robots. She said that she knew she was in trouble, like she couldn't control her body as she's walking across this field and she saw her young daughter and another group of people being led away with this other group and she's panicking, but her body was moving. 
she couldn't control her body, which is more terrifying, obviously. Like, being a slave is awful. Being possessed, having someone else control your body is awful. And then having your own soul being like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Please, no, daughter, come back, come back. And not even be able to shed a tear because your body is being manipulated by somebody else like a marionette puppet. That's all terrifying stuff. So we saw a ra- I saw four other cases in Russia in this same time period that had similar incidents. But only Sanin, all of these people, all the other people got away, but Sanin was actually able to resist them for five days. It's interesting, and I'm wondering if the fact that he got away from them in the first place, that pulling force that was pulling him towards the light. We've talked before, I did an episode a long time ago, if our gray aliens actually evolved dolphins. And it was the fact that when aliens paralyze you, they're using a sonic attack. Like a dolphin can stun its prey with a sonic attack. These aliens can give you this sonic attack. If you can't hear, that probably won't work. Even though the voice is in your head, if there's still a biological sonic component to them having power over you, he's just like, no, I'm not going to do it. This is lame. I want to go home. And he just waits till it starts raining, and the aliens probably would have let him go home earlier if he had just wandered off. It's an interesting idea because I've come across several stories where people get abducted by aliens, the aliens run a couple tests and go, nah, we can't do nothing with you, and they'll drop them back off at Earth. The aliens may, for their technology to work, they may need to have somebody be quote-unquote healthy, of typical health. Which, I mean, fine, you get abducted by aliens and it turns out that you have some disease and they drop you off, that's one thing. I mean, you might feel a little disappointed. But this guy broke out of a slave labor camp because of his hearing issue. I mean, there's a whole other host of issues going on here. One, alien slave labor camps operating on the planet. He said that the aliens were actually living underground, and they would come up, and they would take all the supplies back underground, and the woman who was kidnapped with her daughters said she was going up and down a ladder. There was a civil... And these are all taking place in Russia, all over Russia. But again, if they're getting teleported around, then it doesn't matter if you get kidnapped in Moscow or get kidnapped in the Urals. It doesn't matter. But because they're just going to where the aliens were. But even she described there was an... And these are all coming from different sources. I found them all on thinkaboutitdocs.com, but they got them from different books, different articles. So even the articles of the time weren't putting these stories together. It's an interesting question because it makes you think, are the aliens that easy to beat? I mean, it may not be as simple as throwing in some earplugs, but it might be. You know, I'm not saying if a bunch of aliens corner you, pull out an ice pick and start going at your eardrums. Don't, don't, don't do that. But all of this advanced technology, ability to teleport people away, to bring StarCraft across the cosmos, to get into your head. If all of that can be beaten with a pair of $2 earplugs from Rite Aid, bring it on, aliens. It's an interesting story because despite the fact that him being deaf might have made him a bad night watchman, it might have given humanity a hint on how to defeat aliens if the time ever comes. I'll tell you this. I'm going to keep a pair of earplugs on me because if I ever get abducted by aliens and they pull out that PowerPoint presentation on peak oil, greenhouse effect, while their back's turned... I'm going to put, put my little airplugs in. The whole time, I'm just going to be nodding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a tragedy, man. 
sure glad you 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 came across the cosmos to tell me about recycling, bro. Good, good job, aliens. And I'll just be nodding. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Okay, so there we have it. Episode 469, Are Deaf People Immune to Alien Mind Control? Originally came out uh, June 21st, 2020. So yeah, about three years ago, I came out with this episode. Let's talk. There, there, there's some super interesting behind-the-scenes stuff going on with this one. But I got to get the cringe cat out of the bag first. I had... Listen, when I looked up this episode, because when I find episodes to do classics on, I just kind of start listening to... Dead Rabbit Radio episodes at random. I, I very rarely. I think when I first started doing the classics, I go, "Oh, I want to talk about something that happened behind the scenes on this one." Now I just listen to a bunch of episodes towards the end of my recording season with the intent of finding one. Is there something I can talk about afterwards with this episode? And when I saw it, I go, "Oh, are deaf people immune to alien mind control?" I vaguely remembered the story. I, I very clearly remembered the Ouija board story. I thought it was two really, really good stories. So I started listening to it, and for me, it's really, really hard for me to listen to this one because I would have recorded it completely different nowadays. This episode is the the it's so for me the humor is super cringy. Like there there was the one there was when I was re-listening to it, and I I get it. You're more critical of your own stuff than anything. When I was listening to it, I was walking home from work and I was listening to it. And I was like, oh, this Italian 911 joke or the Italian police were saying like manja manja as they were kicking down doors or something. (laughs) Jason, what were you thinking? It also moves by at a clip. The editing of episodes I do nowadays is not nearly as hectic as I used to be. It used, and I, it's funny because I would see people. When I was recommending the show or when other people would recommend the show and I'd see people respond to that, they'd be like, oh, they eat so cringy. The humor is really bad. And back then I'd be like, what? <laughs> no, that episode was hilarious. And now I think, yeah, if, if that was somebody's first episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, subject matter is cool. Like he's talking about stuff that nobody else is talking about. But it's a it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit of a struggle getting through some parts of that episode. But I think the stories are really, really good. I think the stories carry it through. So, and let's break it down. I know I'm kind of jumping around back and forth, but let, let's start off with that Ouija board story. Longtime listeners to Dead Rabbit Radio know, and I think I even mentioned it in this episode, I hate the idea of snapping. I hate the idea of people just losing it. Now, this family, if I remember correctly, I listened to the episode a couple weeks ago, but um, I'm pretty sure they were like eating paint chips or inhaling. They were huffing. Paint. So it's not like they snapped in that sense. It's not like someone's like, ah, oh, yes, my life went totally normal. And then I murdered a bunch of people. And you're like, well, what happened in between? Did you just lose it? Like, you know, I, I developed a crippling meth addiction for about three or four years. And you're like, okay, it's not really snapping. Uh, it was it was a steep decline. Sure. But it's not like you were normal one day and then you became a murderer. These, this family was huffing paint. If I remember correctly, they were huffing some sort of inhalant. I think they were just using the term inhalants. And I think it's a great story. It's v- So nowadays, 
it's not like I would have told the story completely straight. It's not like I would have been like leather boots marched up the stairs as they heard the family doing stuff. You know, it would definitely be better than that. I don't. It wouldn't have been a straight serious one. But sometimes the jokes go on and on. And I think if you listen to the show nowadays, while it still has humor in it, it's not. I hope. I hope it's not like this. I hope it's not like this. But the interesting thing is, back then, that was the. That was the tone of the show, and that was the best episode I could have put out, 600 episodes. And I know, really, in my bones, just because when you do creative stuff for long enough, that when I eventually listened to episode 1004, to do a classics on that three years from now, I'll be like, oh my god, this is so cringy, how could I have possibly done this? But this episode, again, like, I don't even know what that... The thing that really, st- the thing I was like, Jason, you should just edit this out. Don't, don't highlight this episode. Don't bring more attention to it. I, there's a part in it where I say, and I don't remember the exact quote. I'm too embarrassed to look it up. But it was like, I'm sitting in my underwear and that's not a meme. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I heard that and I was like, oh my God, that is so cringy. I said it and I don't even understand. I mean, I guess, I guess I recorded it in my underwear. understand that much. But I don't, like, why did I say that's not a meme? That makes zero sense. It makes zero, it makes beyond zero sense. Like, you can't be talking internet talk. It was bad. I mean, like, for real, for real, no cap. I would not do that segment again that way. I would just take that joke. I would just take that joke out. And everything would be totally fine. But again, I, I, I think there is a thing like when I go back and watch old comedy skits, not ones that I've done, but just like you'll be sitting there on YouTube and you're like, oh, dude, I remember that. I remember that hilarious comedy skit I saw back in like 2012. I wonder if it's still on YouTube and you look it up and you're like, dude, this sucked. Like, this sucks. Like I liked it back then. Why is it sucky now? So I think just comedy has a hard time aging anyways. And that is a thing. This show for better or for worse, is a comedy paranormal podcast. And and you know what's funny is one of the reasons why that is is because that's how I cut my teeth. The podcast that I listen to, where you would have... The podcast that I listen to the most is like Mysterious Universe and the Parapod, which would... Parapod was a straight comedy paranormal podcast. Mysterious Universe took the subject matter a little more seriously, but the episodes I had the most fun with with Mysterious Universe was the stuff I had never heard of before, or the stuff where the two hosts were cracking jokes and I was laughing. Sofa King Podcast, listen to them all the time back in the day. I just don't have time to listen to podcasts anymore. Hilarious, three guys sitting around cracking jokes. So when I started doing my podcast, I go, I want to have a comedy podcast because I think the jokes, the jokes kind of stick with you and they, throughout your day, you're like kind of chuckling at this joke that you heard. I didn't have anyone to do it with, so I'm basically all three people on the couch. It's a, it's interesting story. The humor for me is super cringy. And again, I would have approached it differently. That Ouija board story is is weird. And it's one of those stories that we've never heard about, never really escaped into English-speaking media. And it was a family... It's a true story of the family beating up cops during a drug-fueled seance. Like, how is there not a movie made of this? And I love it. I absolutely love the story. I just wish I had approached it a little bit differently. Now, that, the second story itself, I think, it, while I love the Ouija story just as a standalone thing, the second story, Are Deaf People Immune to Alien Mind Control? 
I, again, remembered the story. I remembered the concept of it, like the psychic powers or the telepathy that aliens can use on humans. Would a, does it for some reason not affect deaf people? But as I was listening to this segment, I didn't remember where the story went. And that's kind of a evolving thing. Like these episodes I picked for this week, they all kind of caught me off guard because I didn't remember how they ended. And so I'm listening to this one and the dude, I don't remember his name, the dude gets abducted or taken to the forest. And it's this weird, like slave labor camp where everyone's walking around like robots. And like the women have the shawls on their face and they may be zombified. They may be hidden. Their beauty may be hidden, so... Well, actually, so this is the interesting thing. Now, in the episode, I said they might be um, rotting women, or they their faces might be hidden, so the aliens don't want to bang them. And I kind of said that in, like, an offhanded thing. Like, it was a legitimate theory. Like, why did the men we see their faces, but the women we didn't see their faces? And this is one of the things I love about doing this show, because, again, this episode... Was 600 episodes ago, we have made new revelations on this podcast over the next three years that makes this... Some of you guys may have picked up on it, see? Because when I recorded this episode, we weren't really making these connections, but I've made these connections. You guys have sent me stories, and we've made these connections. It would be a better way to say it. This is super weird. When I was re-listening to this episode, I picked up on a detail I did not pick up when I even recorded it, when I was researching it. Check it out. So remember, he's there and he sees the men who are zombies. He sees the women who have their face covered. He sees a pile of deceased bodies of like various stages of decomposition. And if I remember correctly, the pile was uh, one type of adult. I don't remember if it was a male or female. And... Red-headed children. And I said in that episode, I go, what a weird detail that the... Where did these red-headed children come from? They were all dead. And then I just kind of move on to the next topic. I, I, I didn't have any framework to put that in. Now, guys, since then, we have done multiple episodes detailing the connection between the Nephilim which are the descendants of humans and fallen angels, these giants of mankind, and them having red hair. That is a trait we see from the story of the giant of Kandahar, he had red hair, to the story of the giant cannibal warlords in Nevada, they all had red hair. We did an episode, did the Nephilim look like clowns with pale skin and red hair? That's why a lot of people have an intrinsic fear of clowns and ancestral memory. So here you have these aliens running the slave labor camp somewhere in, I don't know if they ever, he doesn't really know where it's at. You know, he, the story took place in Eastern Europe, but he all of a sudden he appears in the kind of the swampy forest. It appears to be slightly modified. Remember, there's like these pathways they were walking. Not sci-fi pathways. It was just like a, a little road that was built. Moving this stuff around, you have these aliens here. You have these human women with their face covered up. And the big issue was the fallen angels fell in love with human women. They said there was nothing more beautiful in all of reality than a human female. The angels fell in love with them. They had babies. Their children were the Nephilim red-headed giants. 
So is that what that pile was? Were those the results of the interbreeding between these alien warlords and the human women? Dude, super weird. I heard, I mean, I'm like walking down the street listening to this episode and I heard that detail and old Jason just says it and goes, isn't that weird? I wonder why there's just a pile. Like, obviously it's stuck. <laughs> obviously you're going to remember a pile of dead kids. But I was listening to it. I was like, oh my God, in the next 600 episodes, multiple times. And I remember like, it wasn't like one day that kind of clicked for me. I remember we did the story about the, if I'm, again, my memory could be fuzzy. We've done a thousand episodes, but I think I talked about the giant of Kandahar having red hair, but I don't think I said, well, that was a trait of the Nephilim. And I think when we were talking about the giant cannibal warlords of Nevada, I, I described them as being pale skinned and red hair. And I might've made a connection to the giant of Kandahar. I, maybe, but it wasn't, it took more and more episodes to go, no, this might actually be a connector. We're starting to see this pop up in all these stories. So is that what the pile of dead kids was? Was the interbreeding between these aliens, which again, this is the only descriptor that this dude has. He goes, I was abducted, and all of a sudden there, in our, again, it's been about two weeks since I listened to the episode. I think the aliens were quite tall themselves, but I could be wrong in that detail, but he, if you got abducted, it's one of those things, if you got abducted and <laughs> taken to a slave labor camp in the middle of a swampy forest, you would probably think, well, first off, you might think you were in Taken 4, and hope Liam Neeson is going to save you, but, I mean, you, I think most of us would default to aliens, right? If if we woke up and there's a bright light in our bedroom, and the next thing we know, we're carrying a bunch of coal through a mine, we're not going to be like, oh, those demons, those demons, those fallen angels, they really love coal. No, you probably would assume, if you had a choice, I mean, not that you were just abducted by a human, would be the most likely one, but you would think, oh, it was an alien. And in this case, these may have been demons. What is the connection between aliens and demons? That's long been a source of contention. But whatever it is, I think that those kids were the... the were Nephilim. They were a product of the breeding process. And I think at a certain point, the foreman who's running this slave labor camp goes, guys, you got to stop banging the women. We're going to cover up their faces because I get it. They're really, really hot, but uh, you got to understand we got a big pile of dead bodies over there. It's stinking up the place. Your kids cannot be allowed to exist. It's super weird. I, I love So that was really like, I, I listened to a bunch of episodes to figure out what I'm going to do classics on. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, oh my God, it's so cringy. Do I want to bring attention to this? But when I heard that detail, I go, I absolutely have to talk about this because that's one of the great evolutions of the show. That's one of the things I love is those connections we've made over time, right? I get emails and YouTube comments from you guys to point out connections that I didn't even get. And we're slowly building up this web. That's one of the beauties of doing a daily podcast for five years at this point is we have this huge source of information. And I feel entertaining information, right? I feel like we've done a good job of making it fun and telling these stories nobody else is talking about. And we've created this really entertaining show. And I never set out to go, oh, I want to discover something called the Black Bedrooms Phenomenon. Oh, I want to discover the link between all these Nephilim stories from around the world. I mean, it's great. it wasn't that I was trying not to do those things, but I never set out and thought we would actually 
as a group, rewrite some of these stories and build some of these connections. And that's one of the things I really love about the show. Because if nobody's talking about these stories, nobody's able to make the connections. So, yeah, I, I really like this episode. I think the stories are great. The humor's a little cringy. I would record it differently. I would actually, I probably record it the same, but I would do a little tighter editing from the jokes and maybe a little bit of slower editing because the movie, the episode goes by so quick. Now episodes, they I let them breathe a little bit more. But other than that, I think this is a really good episode. And I and really, all of the episodes this week are going to be episodes that I feel have fallen by the wayside. But I really love this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I hope you guys were able to look past the cringe. Maybe you guys listened to it when it first came out and thought it was hilarious. <laughs> now you're like, oh yeah, yeah, it was a little, it was a little cringy. Or maybe that's just me. But anyways, I think the fact that I again, just saw this and go, wow, that's gross. There's a bunch of dead redheaded kids. And I didn't make the connection. And now, years later, we can re-listen to it and be like, oh, dude, like, we know why they're redheaded now. Creepy story. Creepy, creepy story. Because, again, that's one of those details I go, you know, you always think, are people making this stuff up? But how would he make up a detail like that that decades later we could connect to all these other stories like even the guy who's telling the stories like i don't know where there's he doesn't go maybe they are the nephilim maybe this is a no it's just like that's disgusting overall i love this episode i think it's great i think it's a part now of the dead rabbit radio lore right now we can connect it to all these other things and that's something i really really love about the show so i'm glad you guys checked out this episode of Dead Rabbit Radio Classics, tune in tomorrow for yet another episode where we'll go behind the scenes of an episode. Another one that I'm actually surprised I didn't get in more trouble for, but we'll talk about that tomorrow on Dead Rabbit Radio. <laughs>